Well, God bless you all today. How's everyone doing? All of a sudden, everyone went somber in your look. Just smile. It makes me feel good if you smile, because then, you know, because if you're not smiling, then I think, oh gosh, what's going on in them? Oh, Lord Jesus, what are they thinking? So it just disarms me when you smile. You know, smiles are infectious, they say. If you smile at somebody, they naturally are going to smile back. Unless they've got issues, then they're going to go. They're going to wonder, are you looking at somebody behind them? Because surely you couldn't be smiling at them. Because they're miserable, and they want you to be miserable with them. So everybody has to be miserable. (laughs) But we have no miserable people in the house this morning, right? Amen. Wednesday night, uh, we had a a beautiful time of prayer afterwards. P.S., just, you know, a a personal insert to encourage you. After the live stream goes off, we have prayer. So then you miss out if you don't come to uh, in-house. But anyways, we had a good time of prayer and and praying into um, the young adults and praying into... Uh, not just the young adults, uh, specifically those who are unsaved. And um, there was a a real sweet moving of the Lord because if you were watching by live stream, you you will have seen that all of a sudden I just lost myself as to where I was, what I was saying, and I was preoccupied with... um, there was uh, two individuals that walked by this way, and then they walked by that way, and I was kind of concerned, like, oh, I wonder what they're looking for, or if they need anything, and so I kept looking up, and, and it just threw my thoughts, but thank the Lord, he, he drew the attention to uh, two of our sisters, and, and they went and, and uh, were able to help these individuals. But what it did in the seed of their hearts was uh, it propelled them in this, in just because we've been longing for prodigals to come in. We've been praying for prodigals to come in. We've been praying for the unsaved to come in. And so uh, one sister, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but one sister came up and, and she shared in brokenness what it did in just uh, being able to uh, find a place for these individuals. One in particular was looking for, for lodging, and, and so they were able to, to find lodging for them. This, in the, this um, one sister was even willing to open up her home if needed to be. The love of Christ. Then following that... Um, another sister was sharing of the different individuals she's been inviting to the young adult uh, just because of the emphasis of the power of the cross. And they've, they've invited as many as 50 people and they've been getting a very strong response. Again, moved, feeling this, this drive within that I have to reach out to the lost. I have to minister to those that are lost. And, and so there was this this presiding theme, not created by man, but I believe created by God by two distractors because they weren't truly distractors. I use the word distractor, but um, it was God using a distraction to get 
get his point across. God using a distraction to make an emphasis. And so um, we, we gathered at the front and we were praying in a circle. And while we were praying, I just heard very clearly in my, in my heart um, the passage that we're gonna look at this morning. And so as I was driving home, I was thinking, well, Lord, um, I'm going to take the, from you that that is the direction that we're going for Sunday morning. And um, so open your Bibles. If you come with your Bible, open your Bible. Otherwise, if you come with a, an electronic device, scroll over to your U version and uh, look for Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Do you know it off by heart that you already know where we're going? <laughs> yes, praise God. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 35. It's good to have pastor back, eh? <laughs> Amen. Keep praying. Keep praying. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went up to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, that is the lawyer, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Such a popular parable of the Lord, one that even the world, that the unbelievers will use as an example of how we should live in doing good to our neighbor, and how we should live in demonstrating good works, because you know, oh, karma says if you do good to somebody else, it's going to come back to you. <laughs> But that is not the, the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. At least we're going to look at a few things today. And when we open up the passage, it starts with, and behold. 
So whenever we see the word behold in the word of God, it is wanting to draw our attention to something. It is, it is an imperative word. And so it's, it's therefore saying, take note. Take note. It can be used also in, as an expression of wonder. Behold the Lord. Behold the Lamb of God or adoration. But in this particular context, it's drawing us to stop and pay attention to something. And what is that something? Luke wants to, to draw our attention that there is a lawyer in the room. And this lawyer knows the Old Testament. You see, in those days, the lawyers would be also scribes, and, and what did they study? They, they would scribe the law, okay? And their particular emphasis of study was the Old Testament. And so they knew the Old Testament well. And what he's wanting to do here is he asks a question. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you know lawyers, when they ask questions, it's usually because they've done their copious research. They're wanting to catch you in something. They're wanting to test you in something. They want to trip you up to see what type of response you're going to give. See, a well-trained lawyer, before he asks a question, already has an answer. And so this man says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he has some sort of understanding of God's eternal kingdom. And Jesus returns his question with a question. I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? He says, what is written in the law? Because he's speaking to a lawyer. That's why I love him. I love him more than that, but I love him for the fact that he knows who he's talking to. He knows when he's talking to me how he's got to speak to me in order for me to hear. And so he addresses this lawyer right where the lawyer's at. Well, what does the law say? What does the law say? And so for this lawyer, he is being on the stand, and the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. So the lawyer had a head knowledge of what he had to do. He had a head knowledge that you have to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But he didn't have the heart knowledge to walk out. Though he was saying with all your heart, he didn't have the heart knowledge to walk out what loving God looked like. He just had the, the ability to recite. You remember when you were in grade school and you would have to do speeches and so you would have to uh, write a speech that was at least two to three minutes long and the teacher would always want you to make your opening sentence something that would captivate your audience and then you would have to recite. By the end of the, your speech, you may or may not have known what you even said. Well, this lawyer was able to recite the law because he knew it, but he couldn't walk in it. Mark 12, 28 to 31 says this. And one of the scribes, 
a lawyer, came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second of this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. On another occasion, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 46, Jesus also said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That very passage, underline it. And, and um, if you want, right next to it, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 35. Because it will make more sense why Jesus said to them in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 5, to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you it'll make more sense write it down do yourself that favor so the next time you're turning to that passage you are impaired to to remember the the account of this parable so the type of love that jesus is looking or is sharing about in these two passages is that agape love, that love that is willing to sacrifice, that love that is not filled with pride, that picks and chooses whom it's going to give attention to, who it's going to love upon. Oh, well, they're, you know, they're my own, they're my brethren, and so, you know, I'll do whatever it takes for my own brethren. No, this is that agape love that has no barrier of culture, no barrier of status, this is that agape love. You set aside your preference and you help the person who is in need. And that person could be your very enemy. Your very enemy. The lawyer knew the answer. He knew the words. He could recite, recite the words. He could recite the law. But his struggle was not in his recitation ability. For that, he got 100%. His struggle it was in walking out. Because if he was able to walk out, he would never have asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that this lawyer was looking for an excuse. Could that be any of us here in the room this morning? We're looking for a reason to hold a grudge? We're looking for a re yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Oh, but you don't understand what they said. Oh, if you knew what I went through. I was speaking, oh, I brought somebody to prepare for their funeral. And in bringing them to prepare for their funeral, um, they had to make some uh, arrangements as to where they would be buried. And they wanted to be buried where their parents were. So, of course, they had to appeal to other siblings to ask if the other siblings would be okay that they would be buried where their parents were. And so, uh, of course, the funeral director said, do you have any living siblings? 
To which this person says, yep, I do. I have um, a brother and a sister. Okay, well, you're, before you phone the gravesite, or, yeah, you will have to contact your family to make sure you have written permission to be buried where your parents are. There was one problem with that. They had not spoken to their one sibling since 2003. Because you don't know what they did to me. The last time we spoke, 2003, 20 years. I know what I'll do. I'll speak to my one sibling. They could speak to them, get them to give me permission, and they could write a letter, and then I'll bring it too. Jesus knew the heart of the lawyer. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, we can hear this message this morning, and we could agree with it, but unless we're going to walk in it, we are deceiving ourselves. We are liars. Oh, you're calling me a liar. You, you are. Unless you're walking in the truth of the word, you're a liar. We're not, you know, this is what we need to remember. We are not the ones who initiate God's love. We are not the ones who initiate loving God. Do you know that we love him because he first loved us? When you choose to love the Lord, your God, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, it is because he first chose to love you. And you are responding to that overwhelming love. And unless you fully comprehend it, you will never be able to fully respond. You will always give so much but not all. You will give with a restriction. You will be as though, as, as though you are one with deep pocket and short arms. Unable to dig into the well of love to give freely as it was so freely given to you. Because he first loved you. You therefore are able to love others. We respond to the love of God out of the outflow of what we have received from him. And so the question that we ask ourselves is, is the real reason why I can't love because I don't truly understand the love of God for me? Is my restriction in giving love truly because I don't receive the love that God has for me? The lawyer knew that he was only quoting the right answer. The lawyer knew he very well was not one who lived out that answer. But he poses another question to Jesus. When Jesus says to love your neighbor, he says, hmm, then who is my neighbor? A little bit of sarcasm there. Because again, if he is a lawyer, he is well, know, he knows the law well. He knows the law well. So when he is saying, who is my neighbor? He is hoping 
that it's not what he knows. And Jesus answers him with a story. And he says to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jesus does not stop to identify who this man is. He calls him a man. A man went down from Jerusalem. So we do not know whether that man is Jewish. We do not know whether that man is a Samaritan. We do not know anything about this man. Why? Because this man in the text is everyone. He's you. He's me. He is anyone. And he's on a journey. And while he's on the journey, he is attacked and robbed. Yes, you are on a journey in life. And there's been times on your journey where people have wrongfully attacked you. People have wrongfully robbed you of who you are. People have mistreated you. People have bruised you. People have thrown you to the side. People have left you as though you were nothing. Why? So that they can gain from you what had to bolster their pride, what had to bolster who they thought that they were. And so this robber that was attacked was not identified by his ethnicity, nor his name, nor the region where he came from other than that he was going down from Jerusalem all that we know is that he was an individual and so therefore he is you and he is me. And so consider today, while we're listening to this, who did you wrong? Who hurt you? Who left you for dead? Oh, I don't necessarily just mean physically. I mean left you for dead. You don't know you don't love on a person or do good by a person because of their status in life. Oh, that's a doctor. I have to, I have to treat the doctor with respect. You love them because of the true love of God that is within you. Therefore, when you love out of the outflow of the, the love of God, you expect nothing from them. Nothing. Your love comes from a pure place. Because you see them as an individual that is in need. Because you see them in a place where you once were. One time we were driving from Bramford to Hamilton, for those of you that don't know where Bramford is, it's west. And if you drive a, a good hour, you will eventually pass. And don't blink, okay? But you will eventually pass a sign that says Bramford. And if you blink, the next sign you're gonna see is, I don't know, the next sign after that, London. <laughs> Just keep driving west. But uh, we were driving from Bramford to Hamilton, and uh, all of a sudden, I see this car vroom, and it's off the road. And I said to my daughter, I says, we need to pull over. She says, what do you mean we need to pull over? I says, we need to pull over. She goes, mom, we can't pull over. It's COVID. It's true. It was in the peak of COVID, right? And I says, I don't care. You're an officer, and I'm a nurse, and I'm a pastor. And we need to pull over. 
And she goes, fine, we'll pull over. So now we're a good hundred yards up from, or meters if we're in Canada. And, and um, so I'm in these crazy flip-flops and I run down that highway road and I go and so anyways the the way the car went into the ditch and the way the car rolled um, the the individual within the car tried to get out and so she as much as got out when another um, person had responded and she immediately collapsed and so then I, I went to her and another person responded there was uh, let's see there was uh, five of us and as we are there, I'm, I was just holding her head in her neck because I didn't want her to move. She was moaning profusely, and I was just praying. Father God, just fill her with your peace. Father God, just keep her still. And, and she would moan. I, and I said to her, honey, just, just remain as still as you can. Just remain as still as you can. My daughter was uh, looking to see if there was any cell phone. Um, a, a ge another gentleman was beside me. Another, another nurse had responded. And uh, anyways, the long and short of the story is, as I'm praying for her and as I'm seeing her, she was a Muslim young girl. But in that moment, all of us were doing everything that we could to attend to her, to make sure that she was completely still, that no further injury can come to her, to make sure that she would be at peace, to make sure that she was, whatever we could do, we were all attending to her. And as the paramedics arrived and the police arrived and, and some 40 minutes later, I got into the car with my daughter and I says to her, I says, Alicia, did you realize one thing this morning? And she goes, what's that? I says, in that moment that we were all around her, none of us cared who the other one was. None of us got there and said, oh, I'm a nurse, excuse me, excuse me, everybody move over, move over. Okay, ha have we checked the vitals? Nobody called out who they were. Everyone, each one of us was interested in one thing, her well-being. Each one of us was interested in, in what? We were interested that she would be attended to and cared for. Not one of us said, no, I cannot respond to her because of her ethnicity. Not one of us got there and said, oh, sorry, checking out. Don't deal with these kind. In that moment, we were just five different individuals coming together to look and care for the well-being of someone who had been in an accident. You love a person not because of their status in life. You pour out the love of God not because you're expecting to receive anything back. We would never cross that individual's path. We would never know if she lived or survived. We don't know any sort of injuries. We just know that we, for that moment, were there to be the ones to pray for her, there to be the ones to make sure that the love of God and the peace of God was reigning over that situation. This unnamed man is traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is 26 feet above sea level. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level and there's only 18 to 19 miles between them. 
And so as he's going down and he falls upon these robbers and he's beaten, the first person to pass by him is a priest. Now we don't pay attention to this detail when we're reading it, but if the priest is coming down from Jerusalem, where do you think the priest is coming from? He's coming from the temple. Because at least once to twice a year, the priest would serve in the temple for a week doing their priestly duties. So at least once a year, they would serve for a week, and during festivals, it's possible that they would serve for more than that. And so this priest is coming from the temple, and as he sees the man, and no doubt the man is groaning, no doubt the man is bloodied, he passes to the other side. Why would he have done so? We don't know, the text doesn't say, but all that we do know is that he was coming down also. And so that's quite possible because the text does tell us that he was a priest. And so if he was coming down, then we could safely assume, we don't want to insert in the word of God where we shouldn't, but we could safely assume he was coming from the temple and he did not want to defile himself because he just came from doing the service of the Lord. Right after he leaves, a Levite comes along and he does the same thing. Who are the Levites? Well, they're the ones that serve alongside in the temple with the priests. They're the ones who collect the offering. And when they receive the offering, they pass it off to the priests. And so they too are ones that are serving and he sees the man and what does he do? He also passes by. What is the point? The point there isn't a great big one, but it's only this. There are two religious leaders, two religious leaders with the opportunity to share the love of God on this one that has been beaten, this one that has been thrown aside as though it is nothing, and they cross the road over. But, 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 and when there's a but, see what it's there for. Along came a Samaritan. Who were the Samaritans? They were the ones hated. They were the ones hated by the Jews. They were despised. And you know what? Never mind they were despised by the Jews. They despised the Jews as well. They saw themselves as a religious elitist. They had their own uh, temple. They had their own Pentateuch. They had their own rituals. The Samaritans hated the Jews as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans. Remember the woman at the well? What did she say to Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 9? How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Since I'm what? A Samaritan woman. How is it that you're asking me? I'm a Samaritan. And then John adds one more thing. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What are you even doing here asking me for water? Jews don't come around here. Jews don't hang out with the Samaritans. What are you even doing here? 
for Jesus to include the Samaritan in this story as he is talking to the lawyer. He's, um, I want to say it this way, with good intentions, he's got the poker and he's stirring the fire. He's giving him a little nudge. That's a more kind way to say it. He's giving him a little nudge. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. Do you know what that word compassion is right here? It, the original word is phlegma. It, it's to have pity from that deepest place here, that deepest place to have pity in the deepest place. That it's, to ha- it's to be broken in that moment for what you are seeing. And it's drawing right up from deep within you that sort of compassion. Not the kind that goes, oh, poor thing. Jeez. Boy, he looks a little roughed up. It was like, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Compassion, he was moved from deep within. And what does he do? In his compassion, he begins to minister to this man. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, verse 34, pouring an oil and a wine. Can we pause there for a moment? I'm sorry, but who travels with four by four gauze? Does anybody here travel with like that, that, all that in your nap, backpack, knapsack, whatever you want to call it? Does anybody here travel with, oh, I've got, I've got rubbing alcohol for that, and I've got, I've got some me pour tape for that, I've, I've, I've got some 4x4 four four and 5x5 five five gauze, I've, I've got a dressing kit, just a minute, let me just pull it out of my donkey pack here. Well, because he had a donkey. Who does that? This says to me something. When he saw the man in his state, he was so moved with compassion that from what he did have, perhaps even tearing his own robe, Perhaps the wine that he had brought on the journey, because you see, it would have been easier in the heat of those days to to carry a wine to quench your thirst than a water, perchance the water could maybe grow a bacteria in it. Would have been, it's just one idea. Don't take it to the bank, but it's just a thought. And so he takes the oil and he takes possibly strips of his own clothing and he begins to wipe this man's sores and he pours oil on it. Why? Because that oil has natural anti-inflammatory properties within it. That olive oil is filled with those properties that it could cause any internal bruising that's happening beneath the surface to just mollify, to just disintegrate. 
And so he begins by pouring oil on him. And then following the oil comes the wine, that antiseptic, that's gonna clear out any debris or, or stuff that had gotten in while he was being beaten, perhaps some pebbles from the road, because that road from Jer- Jerusalem to, to Jericho is a very rough road if you want to say there's caves there's there there's stones and so perhaps some stones could have gotten into his cuts and so he pours the wine out and he cleanses him so that he could then take him and what does he then do and it just behooves me because i i've been with people that have been in pain but he picks up that man who's been brutally bruised and beaten and he carries him and somehow puts him upon his own donkey Now you want to talk about compassion. First there's the compassion that drew him to respond to the man. But then what about the compassion while carrying the man? And the blood of the man getting on his own clothes. What about the compassion of hearing that man moan but it hurts. You don't know how much this hurts. Watch. Be careful. What about the compassion of helping him to get onto the donkey in guard of what could have possibly been some broken bones, some broken ribs? What about that compassion? And then furthermore, as he walks with him on this donkey and to hear that man continually, oh, 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 can you love the world in their moans and their groans? Can you love them in their sin-sick place and still walk beside them? Can you love them when their debris gets on you, the dirt of their life? Can you hug them when they smell like everything under the sun? Could you, can you hug them when they have the alcohol on their breath and the cigarette on their clothes and God only knows what else? Can you still hug them? Can you still pour out the love of God upon them? Who is my neighbor the one you don't want to love the one that it's going to cost you to love the one that when you are loving them it gets you in the deep getter it gets you way down in there something compels you why do you keep doing that Oh, you're too kind. This is the kind of the man he was, and he brings him and finally gets him to the inn, and there at the inn, he cares for him. And it says here in verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the intaker, um, innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Now this, this little two words here, that little moment in the text, take care of, in the original, it's actually implying 
Care for them as you would your own child. Care for them as though they were your very own. Puts a whole other spin on it, doesn't it? Because he gives them these two denarii, which maybe by today's means could be equivalent to what, $1,500? Enough to pay for a week of care, a week of stay. And he says to him, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll pay you anything above. Two things are happening here about this innkeeper. He is going to attend to this individual as though he is his very own, but he's going to trust the promise, I'm going to come back, and I will take care of any outstanding debt. Any outstanding debt, I'm going to take care of it. I'll be back. You know what it reminds me of? Ezekiel 16. Verses 6 to 12. And when I passed by you, God speaking to Israel, and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and, be and you became mine. Then what? Then I bathed you and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk and I adorned you with or ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. I washed you, God said. I washed the blood off of you. I cleaned you. He doesn't give a speech, the Samaritan, before he leaves the innkeeper. He just says, here's the money. Take care. Those two words were sufficient enough, and I will come back and repay you. Jesus said in John 14, verse 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Oh, we see this Samaritan demonstrating a great love of God towards this one that was otherwise outcast. This one that represents you and I in the day of when we were not accepted, in the day when we were filled in our sin-sick place. And so Jesus responds and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these three? That's not the question the lawyer asked is it? 
You see, the lawyer said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Then who is my neighbor? That's the question he asked. Jesus gives him a living illustration and then says to him, to give him an answer, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Again, Jesus brings us to that place. What is at the center of your heart? How do you truly love? You see, the center of your heart reveals who you really are. This Jewish lawyer, as intellectual as he may have been, as well-schooled as he may have been, could not give the right answer because his heart would not allow him to surrender his pride and say, well, my Lord, the answer would be the Samaritan. Because as a Jewish lawyer, he hated the Samaritan. Instead, with all that he could, in avoiding the answer, says, I guess it would be the one who showed mercy. How do you evade answering the Lord when he says, go and love on them. Go and share my love to them. Go and take care of them. Hearing the one on Wednesday night say, I was willing to open up my own home. There, two of them respond from the service while we are talking about love. The Lord could not have orchestrated things any better. I was willing to take them in, not knowing anything about this individual, but that they were homeless, and every indication of their homelessness indicated that they weren't living the right life, that bringing them into your own home could pose a threat to you. But the compelling love of the Father was willing to say, I was even willing to open up my own home. Oh, but it didn't end at that weeping testimony. It carried on to, can we pray for these 50 names? Here are 50 names on a sheet of paper. These are some people that have received invitations. These are people that need to know Jesus. They need to know there is a God. And then the individual says, and I don't know what it is, but I'm just feeling compelled to reach out to them. It's the love of God. You don't know what it is because it is not from you. It is from God driving through you. It is the outflow who is your neighbor? The one you don't want to love. That, brother and sisters, is how we reach the community. 
that, brothers and sisters, is how we draw them into the church. Not because we have good programs, although that's good. Not because we have great lights, that's good too. Not even because we have an attractive website. All those things are good. Not because we have Facebook or Instagram. Uh, For every means for them to know who we are and what we're about. These are all good means. But how we truly, truly bring them in is when we have the outflow of the love of the Father that says, you're my neighbor and I will love you. You smell like sin, but come let me hug on you, the love of Jesus. I remember one day praying at the altar with somebody some several years ago and, and uh, they were just sweeping and so when I, as I went to pray for them, um, I was greeted with a very strong smell and so I just, I just said, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm just gonna pray and you know, I, thinking that maybe I would pray and move on and as I prayed, they just puddled into me and so I responded and I was holding them You know the smell does go away when you respond with the love of God. The smell overtook me initially, but when you respond with the love of God, he takes care of the smell. Perfect love, perfect love comes from the Father above, and we are not the initiators of love we respond to love because he first loved us. And if you have a struggle with that this morning, then you need to tap into the love of God. You need to ask God, God, why am I restricting myself from just pouring out? Not in a way that others will see because this Samaritan was not seen. Otherwise, the text would have told us but in a way that God sees and God is glorified. What is the altar today? The altar is God. I want a taste of that love that you have for me, that I may take that love and share it with others. God, I I associate with the man who was robbed God, I feel like I've been robbed of who I am. People have said this, people have done that. They've tripped me down that I feel as though I'm nothing. I'm one that cannot be loved. I'm one that doesn't deserve love. Oh, then you, the altar is here. God, I'm responding because I'm the priest, I'm the Levite. Remember, we're all royal priesthood. I'm the priest, I'm the Levite, and, and, and God, I've, um, I've crossed the road in efforts not to get dirty. So God, I'm coming to the altar because I need you to help me to receive your love. Oh, the other altar is for the Samaritan Because as you walk away and trusting that one to the innkeeper, 
the compassion of your heart is still beating. It's still weeping at the sight that you saw. And so you need to be girded up and built up in the strength to continue to pray for one you may never see again. God, use me to pray for them that you will line the streets with everybody and anybody that is going to point them to you until they in complete exhaustion, okay, God, I surrender. I can't seem to run and flee from any of these Christians. See, the altar is for all of us. The story is for all of us. Josh, if you and the band could come wherever you are. And we finish a little bit early so that we have more time to respond. Not so that we could rush out <laughs> and quickly go and do what we wanted to do with our day, but that we could just take time at the altar and think upon this text and allow the Spirit of God to embed it deep within us that Logos would be such a light, such a light to the community, we won't have the walls to contain it as they come in. We all play a part. Father God, as we just sit here and we reflect into your word. And we reflect on every character in this parable, O oh God. We reflect on the priest and the Levite. We reflect on the lawyer. God, some of us are that lawyer this morning and need to come to the altar because we're trying to find ways we can get out of being a witness and loving. Holy Spirit, just go forth and speak to the hearts of your people as only you can. Word of God, take light and do some introspective searching on our hearts that we may feel the penetration of your word not in a guilty sense, but in a compelling sense to surrender. Because Lord, what you reveal to us, you heal in us. So Lord, I know there are people here this morning that need to respond. In fact, Lord, I know that we all need to respond. But yet some of us will still be held back. And for those, Lord, that would be held back, I pray that you would marinate them all week, every day. Remind them continually of this word until they come to that place of loving because you 
first loved. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. the altar is open I'm not gonna beg pull or tug it's open respond to God as you feel fit for your life we're not here to judge oh I wonder if she's a priest oh I wonder if she's a lawyer this is the word of God you're responding to not me if your heart is being nudged you're responding to God, not me. So the altar is open. And we will pray as we feel led. But don't hesitate as the worship band continues to lead us. Don't hurry out. If you must, worship and make an altar right there in your pew. But there's something that is said of making that public declaration. God. I'm stepping forward because I'm one of the characters in today's parable.
as your assignment this week and I don't say this because I'm closing the service as I, but as your assignment this week read Luke chapter 10 25 to 35 read it every day start every day reading it and ask the Lord what would you have me to do today how can I demonstrate your love how can I go forth oh God love that is just flowing through this place thank you Holy Spirit that you are weaving in and out of the pews ministering to your people thank you Lord that this morning you are doing surgery on broken hearts Lord thank you that Lord you are tearing down prideful mindsets thank you Father God that you are giving us equipment through your word to know how to love to know how to receive love and give love thank you Jesus for what you are doing only you know the complete scope of it As you go forth this week, may you arise and may you shine. Because out of a place like this, when we taste of his love and we taste of who he is, then we are compelled to go with his words, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. In the power and love of God.